Our guest today is Jane Foray, an HR career coach. Jane offers private career coaching for senior HR professionals who've outgrown their current role and want to secure their dream role in their dream company with a dream package in less than six months. Jane has had a 20 plus year career in senior HR roles, such as HR business partner, head of leadership and development, and head of talent. Why has HR career coaching become important over the last year? What's the first thing you should do when starting a job search as an HR professional? How should you approach salary negotiations? We'll find out about this and much more on the Coffee with Recruiter podcast. Oh, just hit the record button. So uh, yeah, we should be recording now and uh, I suppose we can start, uh, Jane. So how are you? How are things? Yeah, it's I'm good, thank you. I just wish, you know, we're we're kind of in the middle of recording this at the towards the end of May and it still feels like we're in winter time. So I'm praying that the summer will start very soon. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, a few days ago uh, at least I don't know in, if if this happened near where you are right now, but we had a bit of a hailstorm um happening for like a few minutes. So it's crazy to know that it's nearly the end of May and it's hailing and it's raining and it's <laughs> almost crazy weather where you got to put on a raincoat and maybe uh, some gloves or something along those lines. Um, yeah, when is when is summer finally, you know, going to show up is kind of what I'm what I'm wondering. <laughs> I know. Who knows? We'll, we'll just carry on like, you know, British people do. We'll just keep on going. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Keep calm and carry on, right? That's kind of the uh, the expression, I suppose. Yeah. Um, well, Jane, I'm so happy to be speaking with you right now because, well, you you have such a relevant background and as a coach, uh, as a, I suppose a career coach, so to speak, you have a very interesting focus that, um, uh, in my opinion, would be quite relevant to the audience that's listening to us, but also in these I suppose strange times, right? Um, you know, ideas and coaching around HR and 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 managing and progressing your career or making a move. It's so relevant nowadays that it's it's really interesting and important to be speaking with you right now. So thank you so much. Oh no, thank you for having me. I think it's. Uh, I think you know. I mean, I know we're going to talk about this kind of later on, but you know, HR people are so focused on kind of helping everybody else that. You know, they really need to make sure that they take time out to help themselves as well. Yeah, a little bit of self-care doesn't doesn't hurt, right? So that's definitely uh, important. Well, Jane, um, can you give us an intro to yourself, maybe your background and, and what you generally focus on as a uh, as a coach? Sure. So I, yeah, if you were to give me a job title, I suppose you'd call me a career coach. Um, and I specialize in helping what I'd call frustrated professionals who know that they have outgrown their current role and that they've got what I call more in the tank to give, but they're just looking for that kind of help, that confidence to just step out of their comfort zone and just sort of put themselves forward for that next role. And I came to this after um, a long career. So I was in British Airways for almost 20 years, had a fantastic career, moved around every every few years into different roles. And I spent the majority of my career there in HR. So I was um, working in training, leadership development, 
um, HR business partner. My last role there was head of talent, which was like my dream job. <laughs> I took redundancy from there in March 2017, uh, got headhunted by Leon Restaurants as their first head of training. Um, and that role lasted eight months before that became redundant a couple of weeks before Christmas that same year. So I had two experiences of redundancy within 12 months, which were very, very different experiences. One, the BA1 was very slow, very drawn out. Uh, the one at Leon was very, very quick. And I just thought, you know what, it's, I've been thinking about starting my own business and almost did a bit of self-coaching and just, you know, asked myself those questions of, you know, you know, if not now, then what, you know, when, and um, what have you got to lose? And I just decided to take that leap of faith and just step way out of my comfort zone and make it happen. And, you know, a few years on, I'm still here and, and I'm, you know, tweaking my offer. Um, I, I'm getting better and better at what I do. And I just love helping my clients to step out of their comfort zones and just take that massive leap of faith because everybody has so much to give. And I think, you know, we're all, you know, we're all operating at about, you know, less than 80% capacity. There's so much more we could do and there's so much more we can, you know, kind of achieve in our careers and in our personal lives as well. Well, it's interesting you mentioned that. I mean, from me as a recruiter, I often speak to people and they are sometimes in the middle of making a career move or a switch or sometimes just changing careers entirely. Um, and in, I suppose in your case, and in, in particular, from being employed at a company to, um, well, correct me if I'm wrong, but almost being your own boss and and yeah. and managing yourself kind of is also <laughs> um, quite interesting, but also kind of a plunge, right? Because it's a plunge into the unknown and um, and you can only plan so much because there's obviously a lot of unexpected things and unknowns that you might encounter. Yeah, I mean it's re it's really interesting because when I was um, when I was at British Airways in particular and at Leon actually, I had a lot of autonomy. So even though most of my team were based at Heathrow, I spent a lot of time at Gatwick. So I was quite detached from my team. So I was managing my own time, and I had that was great. Same at Leon, I was you know yes there was head office, but I spent a lot of my time out and about in in the restaurants themselves. So so I'm kind of used to that kind of planning my own time and planning my own objectives but there there isn't that person there who you have to answer to you just have to answer kind of to yourself and that is a that is a a, a big big difference so you know sometimes that's really hard sometimes I do find that hard and wish there would be somebody who would give me that kick up the backside and that's why I myself have a coach now so it's almost like I've outsourced the light my line management and you know my coach is there not to um, give me that proverbial kick up the backside but I know that I work better when I have to be accountable to somebody. Um, so if I say I'm going to do something, I know that my coach is going to ask me how I've got on with, you know, X. Um, so, yeah, so that's why I now have a coach as well. And, and most great coaches will have a, actually all great coaches will have a coach. Let me rephrase that. Yeah, it makes, it makes perfect sense. I mean, already it comes down to the value of having, Broadly speaking, I would see it as an accountability buddy, right? So someone that will remind you when um, you might be slipping, when you might be forgetting to do certain things, or to be there and, and push you when 
when you're feeling demotivated or or when you're encountering very big challenges, right? So, um, yeah, yeah it makes perfect sense. Asking you those tough questions, it's almost like holding up the mirror, and I and I do this actually a lot with my clients. It's, you know what a lot of my clients will say is, you know, I was just doing my job and, you know, I'm you know, trying to get them to think about their achievements and what they've done today. And they, they're like, oh, I was just doing my job. And it's like, well, you know, well, what did you do? And let's talk about that and translate that into kind of business, you know, business language. And, and that's almost what a great coach will do is they'll ask you the right questions that will really get you to stop and think and almost go inside of yourself and just... And, you know, and, and at the end of those conversations, what you should be feeling is uplifted and, you know, confident and thinking, yes, I did do all this stuff. And or, you know, with me, with uh, my coach, you could be like, yeah, I, do you know what? I have achieved a whole load of stuff since we last spoke and I'm beating myself off about it and I don't need to. So, you know, that's where a coach is great. And they will also, you know, kind of hold the mirror up, ask you the right questions and um, put that proverbial arm around you and give you a kick up the backside. It's a kind of combination of like ass kicker um, and accountability body all rolled into one. Makes sense. Well, let's talk about the, the career coaching aspect and in particular um, sort of HR career coaching, broadly speaking, um, because intuitively um I suppose it's become very important over the last year, maybe year and a half. But from your perspective, why has it become such a such an important aspect to focus on? So, I, you know, certainly since the start of COVID, and I'm particularly talking about the the UK um, workplace now. And I know there's similar experiences happening overseas. But if you think about what's gone on in the UK. HR people in particular have had to figure out a lot of things really, really quickly. So if you think about, you know, first of all, it's lockdown, right? How, what do we do with our people during lockdown? And then there's the whole furlough question. And, and suddenly there's this whole new legislation around furlough that keeps getting extended and extended and extended. And if you think way back to kind of March, April, 2020, the people in the room that were having the conversation with the CEO were, the um, legal team, the finance team, and the HR team, making decisions and driving that business forward. And it's been a relentless path since then for all three of those people, but particularly for the HR people, because what you're dealing with in HR is people. Um, you know, numbers and law is quite black and white, but people are not, they're gray. So, and and gray, I mean that in a positive way. It's, you know, they're gray because they're all, we're all different and we all bring something new to the party and no, what two people's experience or situation is exactly the same. So there's a lot of stress and a lot of pressure on the HR director, the head of HR, that person in particular, you know, and I've had a couple of clients as well who have been, you know, running, you know, redundancy programs, for example, in their organization, whilst also being at risk of redundancy themselves. And that is one like messed up situation. And what happens is the HR people, because they are such generous, giving people, they are almost using all their energy helping everyone else. And then suddenly they're like, okay, I now need somebody to help me. And I think that's why it's such an important time for HR people. They've really stepped up to the plate over the last year. They've really proven themselves. And it's like, actually, somebody needs to kind of take them by the hand and put an arm around their shoulder. It makes perfect sense. I mean, we've had so many unexpected and 
um, what's a good way of putting it, um, situations where there was no blueprint to really know how to yeah. act with things like, okay, we're going to go into lockdown and then furloughs and then redundancies and then coming back to the office and finding out, okay, what's the best balance between office and, and remote work and okay yeah. that's a lot uh, this this and this is just the tip of the iceberg right so and it's still uh, happening right yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah we're still sort of in the middle of of yeah i mean I, I wouldn't say the i mean it's hard to tell really like are we still i mean what what stage of the pandemic is this or is it or is it finishing or you know i don't want to you know uh jinx it and you know knock on wood that it that that it, <laughs> you know that, jinx it. <laughs> we're nearing the end of it but hey you never know i mean uh it's it's tough to really predict so but now i mean at least from my perspective um working in a tech company um there's kind of a surge in hiring again right so uh experiencing those two extremes from six months ago being at 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 the bottom and and going through all redundancies and uh and furloughs all the way back to coming back to the office, um, removing lockdown and and hiring again. Um, you know, it's it it sort of plays with your head. And I could appreciate if you're specifically in an HR position, there's just so many things you need to do that really thinking about yourself and your own career and how you want to manage yourself is quite important. Yeah, and it always falls to the bottom of the list because there's, you know, I think it's this constant change. You know, I mean, you've you've just described it beautifully, Jose, but it's just this constant kind of flip-flapping and, you know, the a lot of it driven by things that are completely outside of everybody's control. So that is really stressful in itself. But it is this just responding to stuff and not really knowing. I mean, we're here in May and, you know, you know, we can go in a pub now, which is great, but, you know, is it really going to be lifted in June? You know, I'm not sure. <laughs> so it's, there's almost this kind of, we're, we can only deal with what we know right now. And, and we're kind of planning scenario A, scenario B and scenario C. And all of that is kind of exhausting when you've just been doing that for over a year now. It's, it's, the unknown is really exhausting. Yeah, and so the unknown, but also having to take care of, I suppose, the less appealing parts of the HR function, right? Because um, you want to be the person that hires, that promotes, that looks after progression, that um, can be there for, for colleagues. But also lately, over the past few months, you've had to be also the person that talks about furloughs and and lockdown and redundancy. Um, yeah. So you've had to touch upon the less appealing parts of your job, right? So, yeah. and as a as a role that really fu- functions on 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 empathy, it's it's kind of kind of a tricky one to experience. Um, and I suppose that kind of brings me to one of the things that I wanted to ask you because naturally, some companies they're they've handled the pandemic very well. Um, uh, and others less so, right? So this yeah. has led to things like you know having to 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 make people redundant and so forth. And um, you know, my experience, at least from some of the HR and people persons that I've spoken to, they want to be at a company that um, actually knows how to not just function in the good times, but also function in the bad times and treat their mm. employees with uh, respect. Um, during those bad times. So I suppose that's maybe one of the things that starts a job search, right? If you're in an, in an HR 
function and you're happily employed, but you're not necessarily happy where you are. Um, I suppose one of the questions that I wanted to ask is, let's say you're engaging with someone and they're employed and they're doing relatively okay-ish in their company, but something's not right and they're considering starting a job search. Sort of what's the first thing that you would advise them or, or tell them to, to do just to make sure that things go well? I mean, the thing that I always start with with my clients is to actually, I always say, let's hit pause and let's take three steps back. So, you know, when people come to me very often, it's like, I need, my CV, I need to sort out my CV and get out into the job market. And I'm like, okay, stop, like slow down to speed up. So let's hit pause. Let's take three steps back and let's figure out now what your, what's really important to you, what your target market is, because this will provide you with much more efficiency in terms of your job search so if you are working you need to be doing your job search kind of clandestinely in the background so you need to be doing it as efficiently and as effectively as you possibly can so let's start with your personal value so what is actually really important to you and I've got an exercise that I take people through and that comes up with their top seven values maximum seven because if there's too many it's like they lose their impact. So people come up with their their values. Then we look at their past few jobs and think about, okay, so with those values, where, you know, was your job fulfilling those values? And this is a real light bulb moment for my clients because they suddenly realize that actually this particular job they hated and they realize that it's because they weren't able to fulfill their value of, I don't know, autonomy or security or learning, for example. And it's almost this light bulb moment, which is like, so that's why I was miserable there. That's why I hated it because it wasn't feeding me. So if you think about a job and a contract, it's this symbiotic thing where, yes, you, you know, turn up to work, you fulfill the obligations of your contract, you do your job, you get paid, but also it's the job of the organization to help to nourish you and feed you and grow you and help you to thrive. So that's a that's a, the first thing that we do with my clients. And then we start to look at, okay, so let's think about you're a product now in a marketplace. Who is your target market? Who is going to buy what you have to offer? So we look at the types of industry that people want to be in, the size of organization that people want to be in, um, if there's a particular location and also organizational culture. And this is exactly what I did when I left BA. I realized I want to be in a customer facing business. I want to be in central London because I'd been stuck at Heathrow and, and at Gatwick for a long time. But I also wanted to work for an organization that was so much smaller, that was so much better at decision, not better, quicker at decision making. And I knew that that wouldn't be a big corporate. So that was when when Leon kind of got in touch and I was like, oh my God, this is like the perfect place for me. And it's almost like having that knowledge up front will help to guide your job search. So certainly in terms of the types of roles that you put yourself forward for, when you're talking to your network, you can talk to your network and they have got information and data that will actually help you because they know exactly the type of role the type of business the type of the you know kind of what you're looking for and they can help your job search you know they can do some of your job search for you almost well contacts or colleagues or ex-colleagues in your network 
they also can give you an outsider's perspective of who you are and and their own opinion yeah. of of and their perspective what what your values are right and yeah. and i guess it depends i mean if they're close colleagues and they've worked with you and they've seen you and you're good in bad moments then they can be in a nice position to uh, give you advice or give you some guidance in terms of what your values can be right something along those lines yeah and I think they'll know as well whether you'll fit in. I mean, people aren't great at giving feedback. I mean, this is one of my bugbears, in, you know, in the job market, but also in business. People are terrible at giving feedback. Um, but very often they will uh, sort of a way to ease that for them is they will give you advice on whether they think you would be a good fit somewhere. Um, so whether that's in terms of skills, in terms of the level that you're operating at, in terms of your personality, you know, I mean, my uh, my personality, um, at, you know, at BA, BA is very corporate, it's very safe, and I'm kind of not, you know, I'm like, I realise now that I was probably in the wrong place, I would always speak my mind, I would always, you know, tell the truth and sometimes you know that kind of got me into trouble whereas at Leon that was really welcome so it's almost like you're if you if you can be kind of if you can give something out there to your network it's easier for them to respond to that so you know if you say oh I'm thinking of joining or putting myself forward for a role in a tech startup you know they might say well do you know what you really like structure and process and tech startups don't have that but if you're great at setting that up you might really thrive there so they are a good sounding board your network so yeah certainly use them in that way when you say when it comes to understanding your top seven values are there any very common values or top values that you that you've seen sort of in the market and with hr or people professionals. I mean, what would be what would be examples of very common and very relevant values that you've that you've noticed? So I, it's interesting. The there isn't a a kind of one size fits all. So I've worked with a lot of HR professionals and a lot of professionals who aren't HR professionals, um, and it's a really diverse um, range across the board. The things that come out. Um, kind of pre-COVID and sort of post-COVID are balance. So very often people are leaving an organization because the balance is, is out for them. And that's what they're they're striving for. And and I think it's important for people to be clear about what that means for them because we kind of think work-life balance, that's not necessarily what that means. Um, so, so that's a good starting point for a coaching conversation, for, you know, for me to have with my client. One of the things that also comes out that's very common that surprises people is money as a value. And they're always a little bit shocked that, oh, my God, money is really important to me. And it's and it's OK that money is important to you. Um, we all have a lifestyle to maintain whatever that lifestyle is. And, and actually, that's really important to understand, because if you need to earn a particular amount of money, that's great. But, you know, don't go, don't put yourself forward for a job that's paying you 20 grand less than than what you need to just live your life, you know. So it's get, you know, start to have that conversation up front. I mean, people struggle to tell me sometimes what their target salary is. And it's like, if you can't tell me as your coach, how are you going to negotiate your salary? You know, so so it's a it's a good place for for people to start to practice talking about money in a safe space as well. Yeah, I mean, I can I can definitely see the harms also of not 
understanding your values and jumping into a job search. At least as a recruiter, I speak to a lot of candidates. And one of the first things that I ask them is, hey, look, so um, before I tell you about us, tell me what, what are you looking for just to make sure we're, we're on the same page. And yeah. it's surprising how many people um, actually don't quite know what it is they're looking for. Um, yeah. You know, they'll answer something that's very, very somewhat vague and and very sort of like a standard answer, like, oh, a good company. Um, like vanilla. <laughs> <laughs> with a good culture. Uh, and... Uh, and yeah, that's 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 about it. That's and a good yeah, team. But what does that like, mean? It's yeah, like yeah, yeah, exactly. it's like tell me what I think is a good culture might be very very different from you. So actually, if my my clients can have those conversations and we really delve deep and 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 it's funny because especially when you've been in a cor big corporate for a while, you come up with these like bland. I call them like corporate bland statements that just mean nothing unless you really understand what's going on behind it. You know. So, I mean, do you specialize in one particular area, Jose? What's your kind of particular niche in terms of recruitment? Yeah, so over the past years, I mainly focused on recruiting software engineers, um, mainly at startups and, and smaller scale-ups. Um, and uh, on occasion, I've done the odd sort of product roles, sort of product designers or project managers or product managers. Um, and early in my career, I did um, a few commercial roles, like you know, sales executives and 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 so forth. And yeah. you you even see it there. I mean, uh, you know, speaking with very senior engineers or people in general, and still at that stage, people aren't quite sure what it is they they want. Or sometimes yeah. um, I kind of describe people's needs as being driven by bad experiences in their past company um, yeah. and and it's comparable to choosing a romantic partner in my opinion or that's kind of how yes. people treat it because it's dating yeah 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 because basically <laughs> what i've the way i see it there's a lot of similarities between this like imagine if you if your previous romantic partner was this um you know uh what's workaholic sort of working 12 hours a day uh, over the top, super professional, uh, very serious person, and and it didn't work out. Then you're going to be driven to look for a very chill, easygoing, laid back, um, uh, almost slacker type, and that's yeah. kind of dangerous, also because that's two extremes, right? So, so yeah. not just letting your past somewhat negative experiences dictate what you want, but also actually stopping and thinking about it, and 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 not letting that one experience dictate what you what it is you're looking for is at least my from my personal experience one thing that i would that i would mention yeah i think it's true it's almost like people are um they very often reach out to me when it's so bad and it and it's probably quite similar to you and it's <laughs> and it's exactly what i I use the dating analogy so often when I talk about finding a, a job because it's like a partner. It's like, it's, yeah. you know, you're going to spend more time at work actually than you will with your partner. So, yeah. <laughs> it, you know, you know, you need to find somebody who's on the right kind of 
lines who's who's got the same values as you you might have different ideas about how to do things but fundamentally the way that you do it is the same it's and yeah it's it is dating because you know and that's what an interview is you know you're checking one another out it's a first date it's you know or that first telephone interview it's a first date you know (laughs) think of it like that and then you decide whether you want to go and have dinner together which is interview number two yeah, it makes makes perfect sense. I mean, we're we're just trying to put people together, you know, and and making sure that there's a long lasting relationship. Yeah. Um, when, well, you know, if 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 the moment comes and you you accept an offer, um, and that's kind of a tricky one because an- another risk, at least maybe you can tell me if if I'm wrong, but uh, another risk of not knowing what you want is well, there's two things. Either at the very least, you're going through an entire interview process. And you're speaking to a lot of people, um, and then you're talking to a lot of different companies, and uh, and you're wasting all this time, right? Putting yeah. in all this effort and having very vague conversations. But you know, who knows? You might end up joining a company that, short term, you start realizing, you know, three months in, oh, this 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 isn't actually for me, right? I mean, I had my yeah. motivations and ambitions in the wrong place, so yeah. It, it should be something that uh, I should have paid attention to. Um, yeah. I mean, have you have you personally, you know, maybe with some of the clients you've had, um, seen experiences of, um, uh, I suppose, people that have had to switch companies various times because they haven't had that understanding of really knowing what it is they want, and then going into that moment where they do understand what what it is they want. Have you have you kind of seen that? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, a good example of this, which is slightly off topic a little bit is when you're not clear, when you when you are unable to articulate to other people what you want, you'll end up with the what's left over. So to to give to give a good analogy, I was um, I was HR business partner and we had a new boss come in and she had a conversation with everybody and just said to them, where which client area do you want to work with? Which client area do you want to support? And I was like, with a split second, I just went, it's Gatwick like Gatwick, no other option, one option, it's Gatwick. Okay, great. Thank you. She saw everybody else. There was about, I don't know, 20 of us. So she finally had, you know, rearranged everybody. I got Gatwick. Yay. Happy as Larry. My my colleague got another business area. She was really annoyed. And I said, well, what did you say that you wanted? She said, well, I didn't mind. I said, I didn't mind. I said, well, there you go. I said, that's what happens because you, I've made it really easy because I've said, I want this. I've only given her one option and that's what I've got. You've said, I don't mind. So you kind of come bottom of the list and you get what's left. And it's a bit like that when you go to someone like a recruiter is because you can't really articulate what you want. When there's roles that come up, you're not the, you're not the person in their mind where they think, oh, do you know what? Jane would be perfect for this or Jose would be perfect for that. You're just kind of like, oh, well, you'll kind of do anything. So you'll kind of get what's left. And if you can, I think in my experience, people say that because they're scared, they're frightened about turning off a number of opportunities. Whereas actually, you will turn off a number of opportunities, but that's okay. And it's getting comfortable with that because it's not the right thing for you. So so the more work that you can do up front on the type of role, the type of business, the type of salary, you know, if you need to earn 80 grand, then don't put yourself forward for a job at 60 because you're getting a bit desperate. 
don't do it. It's a waste of time and don't do it. <laughs> so it's like, just get really clear and there will be that job for you. And it's almost like the clearer you are about that, the there'll be fewer opportunities, but that is okay. It's like, get comfortable with that because they are the right opportunities. Well, another thing is that, um, you know, if you're engaging with a half decent hiring manager, they're going to notice that you don't quite know what it is you want and they'll give you less attention. I mean, at least from a hiring yeah. perspective, we look at things like, okay, do you have the skills? Do you have the culture fit or personality fit? But also in terms of motivations, uh, do you want to work with us and us and we are a fast paced, you know, startup or scale up and we're um, all about creating processes and teamwork and low ego. Is that what you want? And yeah. if your answer is, oh, I don't know, maybe, you know, then it's it's not going <laughs> to really, it's, you know, they're not going to be impressed by that. They're going to think, oh, this person you know, if all things are equal and someone yeah. else does say that, oh, that's that's exactly the place that I want to work at, then they're going to pick the other person and not necessarily um, you. So it yeah. actually kind of hurts your chances um, at the interview stage. And it's back to that dating thing, right? If you've got two partners and someone says, oh, what do you think of me? And you go, well, you know, you're okay. And then you say, <laughs> you say to someone else, yeah, you're, you're great. I really want to go out with you. I want to be in an exclusive relationship to you. Yeah. Now, which one is more attractive? It's like people are attracted to people who are decisive and clear about what they want because, it, you know, there's almost this, you, you, you put out kind of, your boundaries almost and and that is attractive yeah well even even things like oh what do you want to eat tonight oh i don't know yeah it's do you want to eat pizza or burgers like eh, i don't know like oh come on like come on <laughs> give me an answer you know, know. Yeah, sometimes so. i love it when my husband says that because it's like right we get my <laughs> choice then <laughs> Yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. Well, you didn't like my choice. Well, you should have made a different one. <laughs> yeah, well, then someone exactly else will choose that. for you, and then you'll, you'll exactly. And then you won't like you. you odds are you, you you might end up regretting what they chose for you. Exactly. You'll so. end up with what you don't want. It's the same in job. It's a bad. I love that analogy. I'm stealing that. It's exactly yeah, that. Yeah, what absolutely. do you want? I don't mind. You know. Okay, we're getting pizza. Oh, I didn't want pizza. Well, tough. It's on its way. Yeah. You know. <laughs> Well, here's here's maybe a different scenario because this this is kind of easy and um, I suppose easy is one way of putting it. When you're kind of happily employed and you're doing all right and you're curious to to look for other opportunities or or you know you're employed, but things are going not entirely well, so you start applying for jobs. But here's another scenario, and that's when you're um, close to being made redundant or furloughed or or when you have left a company and you're actively in the market and you're not employed and you're looking for new opportunities because obviously one thing is being employed and having a steady income and and still you know taking your time you can take your time when you're employed right and and be yeah. picky and choosy but if you're not employed then the the, the situation kind of changes you know the stakes get higher the 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 choice needs to be made quicker almost if that kind of makes sense yeah. you know there's a lot of different factors how do you what or what would be the best way of starting that job search but the difference being that 
you're 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 out of a job right and you're actively looking yeah so i you know this is back to that money conversation which you know if if clients come to me and they come to me as a result of redundancy my first question to them is how long will your money last because that's how long you've got <laughs> so if and it's not it's not a question of how much money have you got it's how long will it last so if you haven't done already now is the time to go through all of your spending and figure out exactly how much it costs you to live your life every month so go through and this is not a right now it's not about you know taking out expenditure but just get an idea about how much you know all of your gym memberships and Netflix and, you know, mortgage and gas, electricity, how much does all of that cost you every single month? And then think about, so how much money have you got left and do some maths and go, right. So have you got three months or have you got six months or have you got two years? Those, how long you have will impact you differently because the shorter time you have, the more, urgent let's say your job search is and there's a very fine line between urgency as in i need to get a job and i'm des and desperation so the, there's a really fine line between that desperation is not attractive in the dating scene or in the job hunting scene right <laughs> so it's like the urgency but not the desperation if you want to give yourself more time then start to take stuff out of your spending so you know get rid of um you know the the, the Netflix subscription and the, you know, the extra mobile phones and whatever it is, you'll be surprised at how much crap's coming out of your bank account every month, get rid of the excess. And that will give that will just literally buy you time. And that time will help you. Because I think very often people are panicking because they don't have the information. Get yourself the information, get yourself informed about your situation. And that very often, when I do that with my clients, they go off and do that and they go, oh, do you know what? Actually, I've got about eight or nine months. So I'm going to take a, you know, I'm maybe going to take some time off or, or I'm going to start looking for a job. But when I secure myself a job, I'm going to have a month before I start, which is, it's so empowering. And just knowing that just presents you in the market as someone who's got their got their act together and has the knowledge and the information to make those decisions yeah well you also have a story to tell let's say if you're interviewing and maybe you have a a gap in your cv um, at least then you know okay you know you you know what you did during that time it was planned and you you took some time to focus on other things before really moving into your next role and one of those things was really thinking about what it is you want in the next stage of your career yeah and and loads of people right now are doing things like volunteering um so they know that they have uh, you know they've done the maths and gone actually i've got a year um i want to do something to help society so i know a lot of people right now who are volunteering at you know covid testing centers and vaccination centers because they just want to do something that's giving back and that is a great story you know in terms of your cv because you can kind of do that and job hunt if you really want to but some for some people doing if you've had a really kind of high powered stressful job doing something like that is just a gear shift in your mind which is similar to taking a break yeah, and would you say, I mean, and maybe maybe correct me if I'm wrong, but also um, does having, let's say, less time for your job search, let's say you, you double check your bank account and you realize, oh, actually, 
I kind of only have maybe two, three months, some, something that's relatively short. Um, yeah. Does that impact things like, okay, what are my values and, and, and was my previous job fulfilling my values and, um, and what's my target market? Would you, I mean, would you advise, oh, actually you might maybe consider a temporary role, you know, for the next maybe three to six months while you think about what it is you really want I mean, you know, if you're if if you're in that tricky situation, um, kind of what what would you advise, roughly speaking? Yeah, I think I think it's an interesting one because I would say my first kind of reaction when you asked the question was it's even more important because you need to get clearer on that. Um, when I know people that have taken temporary jobs, so a number of my um, people I've worked with have actually gone and worked on the census this year, so they've been the people who have you know kind of helping people to fill out their census. And what that means is that they, um, they've been distracted from a job search as well. So it's, it's, again, it's this really fine line because you almost then reset your level. So if you do go and take something that's maybe, you know, a couple of grades below what you were doing, you almost reset. And it's, it's almost harder to bring yourself only in, in your own mind and in the minds of people kind of interviewing you that that you're actually operating at you know this level I think volunteering is a different thing I think it's almost a you know it's um I can't think of the word it's it's a bit you know sort of charitable in one way it's it is different but I think sometimes taking a different job means that you're distracted from your job search I'm not saying it's impossible but the people who've done that almost stop looking for that original job that they wanted so I think it's a you know if you need to pay the mortgage you need to pay the bills you need to get a job go ahead and do it but I'd say be really careful because it's easy to slip into that thing of well I'm actually earning again now and it's not too bad and I can kind of live on this money but it's you know I think at points like that your values and your target market is even more important than before yeah I mean it it's it's such a tricky one I mean there's 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 different ways of looking at this, but um, I can't imagine it maybe hurting your profile or maybe your your career a little bit. Let's say if you take, um, you know, a pay cut and and then maybe a lower position, because then when you move again, you're going to have to, um, you know, kind of interview and fight again for that uplift to where you originally were, if that kind of makes sense. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I and I've had this conversation with people. It's like you've just like reset your salary at, you know, this new lower level. So not only are you trying to kind of get back to where you were, but inflation and everything has done kind of increased that anyway. So you're if you can hold out for those the job at the level, you know, if actually what you want to do is remain at that level, then then hold out for that job would always be my advice for that. Yeah, it's tricky because it feels like you're stuck between a rock and a hard place, right? Like, oh, you 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 need a job, but you don't want to take uh, any job, but maybe you know you you know you got two months, so you kind of don't have a choice. But at the same time, it might hurt you mid to long term. So yeah, it, it takes some 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 good sort of planning, right? Some good strategy yeah. to to really navigate those those tricky situations. Do do you find people are kind of doing those kind of jobs are they are they kind of going for a like a lower paid job as a as a stopgap and and how are you how are people finding getting back out 
getting back up to where they were? Well, it's it's interesting. So generally speaking, when it comes to software engineers, um, it's interesting. So that's that's a market that you would call a, a candidate-driven market, right? Because yeah. there's a lot of companies looking for software engineers. So and there's few of them, and especially for particular programming languages, there's very few. So candidates have a lot of power in the market um, when yeah. it comes to deciding what company they want to work with and maybe even power over their their salary and what they would like to um, earn. Um, but even then, there's there's still that lack of knowledge or understanding of what what really motivates them or at least certain candidates. Um, so you end up choosing uh, the company you might not like entirely um, or the culture or the the industry that you're not too interested in. And that might also put you in a tricky situation. Um, another thing is, well, so here's here's maybe also an example that might maybe resonate a bit more with, um, you know, uh, engineers that might be looking for new opportunities is um, that a lot of engineers that were previously contractors, um, you know, working like three month, six month gigs are yeah. moving into permanent positions right now. And that's due to, um, well, it's due to um, certain uh, law changes like IR35 where contractors are being taxed uh, a bit more. Of course, yeah, yeah, of course. But then, um, you know, you a lot of candidates might not exactly know what, what it is they're getting into um, when it comes to being in a permanent position. And another thing is, well, um, uh, well, here's here's the challenge. But for some recruiters, a contractor looks like someone that's job hopping, right? So they're you know they're staying only three six <laughs> months in a row, and then they move they move, and then you know if I hire this person, will they really stay, or or will they just move move along? You know, move move to another company in six months. So that's also another challenge that you might encounter, you know, with with a with that type of CV, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I, I think that's where your, you know, your story comes in, you know, your your leaving story, it's, you know, and, and why you want to move from being a, a contractor into a permanent employee, because there, there's a story behind that. Yeah, well, that's another thing that hiring managers want to hear is, okay, why you want to go like maybe into a permanent position, uh, or, you know, anything along those lines? Why, why is it that you want to move into a permanent position or why are you looking to move from your current company um that sort of stuff so um yeah it does help to really have a uh you know your motivations put in place and also a story around that to to tell and to explain where you're coming from um yeah yeah well to to wrap up so one of the things i wanted to uh, mention was the salary negotiation also because so we've talked about the job search and and how important money is when it comes to uh, looking for your next role but uh, you know this can all go wrong when it comes to the salary negotiation right yeah. um, so what would be and maybe this is different also if you're employed versus if you're uh, you know unemployed uh, or maybe not but what would generally be um, the best approach to negotiating your salary so you get something you're you're happy with. 
Yeah, so I think there's I think there's a few different elements of it. One, the first thing is I would always try and get a range, a salary range before you put yourself forward for a role. Again, it's kind of down to that. Don't waste your time and then discover, um, you know, discover that something's actually paying you a lot less than than you were expecting. It's like don't even put yourself forward for that job. Um, so it's it's get clear on the range and for that for that role. And then do some market research around, you know, where, you know, what similar jobs are paying in the market and in different industries. So, you know, some tech companies, uh, some legal firms, some financial institutions might pay more for something something like, you know, an HR uh, director than, say, um, you know, I don't know, a, a, something in retail, for example. So there's there's the role itself plus the industry. So just do your research and make sure you know what the market rate is for a particular job. And then I also talk about the to, what I you know it's quite an HR term, but the total reward package. So think about what's your um, you know what's your absolute you know red line in terms of salary. Then also think about what else is there on the table. So is there, you know, what is the pension contribution, for example? What is the, um, I don't know, the bonus potential? What is, you know, is there is there a whole range of employee discounts that actually are really valuable to you? Is there private health care? Um, you know, think of each of those as having almost a, you know, a number attached to it. And actually, what do you value? So, you know, a lot of, you know, when I was in the job market, a lot of companies were offering things like private health care, which actually I don't value um, at all. I'd rather have the cash. So it's almost like, think about, the, the role where you are um, actually is there something else that you can negotiate as well so nowadays things like you know not having to go into the office uh, five days a week would be great you know it, if I was going to travel into central London it will cost me about 15 pounds a day so if I can work at home two days a week that saves me 30 pounds a day at uh, 30 pounds a week that's you know 120 pounds a month that's you know times that by 12 that's that's a good chunk of money so if I can you know just think about different ways of kind of making some money so that that is a good way think about travel and how can you um, you know maybe change your working patterns so that you're not spending as much on that and that is more money in your pocket and um, so yeah just get really clear on what you so again it's back to that you know figure out what you need what's the what's the market rate for this job um, what were you earning in your last job um, what are they offering in terms of the salary range and kind of go from there and think about what else is there that, you know, maybe, you know, some organizations are like, no, this is, we, we cannot give more than this as a starting salary. What else could they give? Could they give an extra day's holiday, for example? Um, you know, think about all of the stuff that make up the total reward. And would you say, so the first step is, so if I understood correctly, get getting a clear idea of what the range is of the role you're applying for or or yeah. first on okay, okay. And then and and then and then also have a clear range of what it is you're you're willing to accept, right? Yeah, yeah. And it's almost like what's your, you know, I call it a red line. So, you know, what is the red line? And you know, and, and I kind of go from there. It's a negotiation. So it's a it's a kind of back and forth. And you know you know, very often people can't move on the numbers, but they can move on other stuff. So, you know, what would, 
um, you know, before COVID, I used to like a lot of holidays, you know, what would two days extra holiday mean to you? You know, that's, that could be quite good. You know, maybe it's actually, you know, I want to start, you know, I need to drop the kids off at school every day. So I want to start at 930. That could be really valuable to you. You might take a few thousand pounds less, but if you can start at 9.30 and not remove that stress of your morning, then that's great. Maybe it's like, actually, you know, I can stop working to go and get the kids from school and then I'll work a little bit later in the evening. That is worth so much to people because they're, and again, it's back to the values. If your values are balance and family, that is worth, you know, maybe you can, you know, lower your, your, your red line in terms of salary so it's really you know think about what this means for you but think about the whole package because people get fixated on that number would you say you know when you're discussing well here's here's something sort of that's kind of controversial and i suppose tricky is when recruiters ask you so you know what what are you currently on and what are you looking for um uh because i mean i've i've read a lot of sort of opinions on on that question, I yeah. I personally don't ask people what they're on because I yeah. think the the damage you kind of do, like it is bigger than the information that you that you kind of get. Um, yeah. Because it leaves a better, very a somewhat bad impression at the very least to to candidates. And once you have even with that information, you it, you what are you going to do then? Are you going to try to lowball the candidate or something along those lines? You know, there's. Uh, I have my personal opinions around that, but uh, how, as a candidate, how should you say what you're on and and what it is you're looking for, or just leave it to what are you looking to offer me? Like, how do you approach that that question? Yeah, I mean, I think this is an opportunity to take control. I personally hate that question, and I hated being asked that question when I was in the job market. And I would respond with, "What I am looking for is." So they might say to me, you know, well, what are you earning right now? It's like, it's almost like people then will use that as a benchmark of what my value is. Now, if they really insisted on pushing me for my current salary and we couldn't move the conversation forward, I would I would almost caveat it before I revealed the number. So I would caveat it with I was OK, I was working in an aviation um, in aviation, uh, the reward strategy of British Airways is to pay 8% of market median. What there was in replace of that was significant pension contributions, and I would have that, and this much bonus. Um, so I know that moving forward, looking at the external marketplace, that is not, you know, uh, my the salary I am looking for is X because I can't expect that level of pension contribution, and you know, uh, the tra- you know, the travel benefits, etc. So. I am now in a position where, uh, you know, I know that jobs in, you know, head of talent jobs I'm looking for are paying this much. This is the salary range that I am now looking for. So you can reveal if they really push you, you can reveal it, but kind of caveat it, but almost always finish it with, with this is what I am looking for and have a great understanding of why. And that's where HR people are great at that one. Yeah, it makes sense. Makes sense. I think it also depends on what type of recruiter you're engaging with. Um, that you know the the salary question. It's much more common in agency recruitment, uh, yeah. whereas an internal recruiter, um, you know, they're not really that motivated by like there's there's no fees involved, right? I mean, I mean, I'm yeah. an internal recruiter. I mean, if 
uh, I don't gain anything by by lowballing or 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 overselling candidates, anything along those lines. It's just yeah, tell me what you're looking for, and uh, we'll see if we can, <laughs> you know, if we can work it out. Honestly, yeah. So uh, yeah. yeah. So for more information about yourself and uh, and you know what you do and, and the coaching work, where can we find you? So um, I the best place to find me is on LinkedIn. So it's uh, it's Jane Ferre on LinkedIn. Um, or my website, which is just my name. It's janeferre.com. Perfect. And uh, what I'll do is I'll also add the links in the episode description. So if you're curious to find out more, you can find the links there and connect with Jane. So Jane, thank you so much for your time. It was a pleasure speaking with you. Brilliant. It's been a great conversation, Jose. Thank you so much. It was great catching up with Jane. You can find her contact details in the episode description. If you like this podcast, then please subscribe or follow. We're on Spotify, Apple, and all major platforms. Thanks again and stay safe.